Vision 7 Radio Network welcomes Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, heard every Monday at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern Time, using nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent afterlife evidence, quantum physics, consciousness research, and ancient writings, we seek to understand who and what we are, how reality works, the nature of God, and the meaning and purpose of our lives. Join Roberta weekly to better understand our one reality and gain insights into how we can make the most of the glorious eternal beings that we are. Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. My friends, as you know, near-death experiences have nothing to do with actual death. The perfectly delightful Dr. Raymond Moody, who coined the term near-death experiences, told us that fact himself when he was our guest on Seek Reality some years back. He said that, of course, NDEs don't have anything to do with death. That's why I called them near-death experiences. But still, NDEs can be extraordinary, spiritually transformative experiences all by themselves. And when they happen to very young children, our spirit guides pull out all the stops. Our guest today had just such an amazing near-death experience when he was only three years old, and it quite literally rocked his childhood and his life. Jacob Cooper is a clinical social worker, a certified Reiki master, and a certified hypnotherapist who specializes in past life regression therapy. Jake works privately with clients through online services, and because he was especially inspired by his spiritually transformed Transformative experiences by by the awakening and by the transformative encounters he had. He also facilitates spiritual awareness and empowerment through life-changing seminars. He lives and he practices in Long Island, New York. His first book is called Life After Breath, and it begins with his really remarkable near-death experience at the age, I cannot believe it, three years old. Welcome, Jacob. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Roberta, a true, true honor. I don't say that lightly. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> I loved your book. I just finished reading it. Let's talk first about what, what happened to you when you were three and you were on the top of a slide. What an awful place to have such an experience. Yeah, you know, right in the playground and whatever the term you want to use it, or God or the universe, but the universe has a sense of humor and works in very funny ways too. And I I say this because I had it in a playground and there's so much allegory and euphemisms that we could have through this you know, experience. But I had something called whipping cough, otherwise, otherwise known as pertussis, um, probably the other way around. But um, I went to a playground in September of 1993. And as a result of this whipping cough, I coughed and suffocated while I was climbing a ladder onto a slide. You know, and so from losing the entire breath of the body, I was able to let go to awaken myself to another breath in another world, what I call as referred to as the breath of eternity. 
that really kind of propelled me forward from that, you know, experience. I mean, it was a very vivid experience. You, you talk about it. You, you saw beings, you, you, uh, you woke up on the ground, but you, uh, they, they weren't sure you were alive. You, it was really a, an amazing experience. It was full blown. Um, you know, I know you mentioned Dr. Moody's work. It had a lot of the stereotypical near death or, you know, spiritually transformative experiences that you see when people, you know, their bodies are giving out on them, you know, stuff like that. But for myself, um, it just reminded me that all these beings in love is always around us. We sometimes just lose sight of it on the human journey. But yes, I was able to have full-blown encounter with my spirit guides, um, which we could get to a little bit in the show, um, awareness of my soul family that greeted me, awareness of angels that was all around me, even hovering over my body on the earth plane, um, and much more, including previous lives awareness, you know, reviews of those, some of those lifetimes that were pertinent to this lifetime, um, you know, and just, just connection to the centerpiece of creation or whatever you want to call that. But to me that the all that ever is and ever was and all things emanate from. And so it was profound. Uh, but yes, at three years old, it's a lot different than a lot of, you know, experiencers that you see who are kind of, you know, it's a little bit of like that movie hook that I allude to with Robin Williams is kind of like middle age and, he goes and has these kind of like weird kind of experiences. It takes him to kind of Neverland, then he comes back, and then he's like changed. And a lot of people they're just living these con what we call conventional lives, and they have this shakeup of the body, and they can never come back the same. They're changed, um, you know. So it's it was profound, but infant and children near death experiences do occur. In fact, I will share this. I was in a restaurant, what I call a random restaurant on my trip to Maine in Connecticut. And I'm sitting in the restaurant and lo and behold is a man who endorsed my book, New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Bernie Siegel walks in the restaurant. And I looked at him, I'm like, this man looks familiar, but I don't want to approach him. He looked like, you know, any guy, you know, that age bracket. Uh, but then I spoke to him and I, it was him. But he also, Dr. Bernie Siegel, why I bring him up is he also had a near-death experience as an infant. So they do happen. Um, but sometimes people may be, you know, less likely to talk about them or they take time to process, uh, but they are out there. And if people who have had a near-death experience as an infant, I do recommend checking out, and I don't want to market books here, but a, but a book for this topic is the Forever Angels by PMH Atwater is a great book for infant and children near-death experiences. She really does highlight a lot of this phenomenon. It's not actually that uncommon for for young children to have near-death experiences, right? But but there are many people who have near-death experiences have negative near-death experiences. Distressing, children never yeah. do. For um and. And uh, just to answer another question that many people have, uh, it was so, how do we know people don't die and go back to life? Very simple. Um, the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes is where we first get the, um, the term silver cord. There is mm. a, a, a very elastic um, uh, uh, 
energy cord, which attaches your energy body to your material body. When that cord breaks, you die and you don't come back. If that cord doesn't break, you don't die and you come back and you're able to go back into your material body. That the, the breaking of that cord is actual death. And if you're, um, if, if you die, you don't come back. If you don't die, the cord doesn't break. So that is how we know. And that is how Dr. Moody would tell you, uh, you know, you die or you don't die. It's that simple. Um, mm. But you didn't die. You were a little child and they took you to the hospital and you got over that episode of whooping cough. But it did mess your life up quite a bit. You you kind of, you came back, of course, from it. But reading your book was really quite gripping. Um, talk about talk about how you kind of, you, you know, you were kind of out of step for, mm. for, for really much of your life then after that. Well, say from this experience, when I was deprived of my own breath, you know, it was kind of like a car that wasn't working. And so there was no point in me being in my car, I got out of my car, but my whole body and my whole brain, you know, was deprived of oxygen. And so at least for me, I can only speak from my own experience. Once my brain was deprived of oxygen, I literally felt a snap in half of my brain. And as the saying goes, you know, my brain cracked in half and that's when God came in, but that literally happened to me. Uh, so I mentioned this because after this experience, my brain was much different. It was a clear filter of the two worlds, which I do believe is what it was intended to, you know, and so it wasn't blocked by my human experience, you know, like a lot of us, it was an open channel for the higher worlds, you know, until this world. And so practically speaking, I was having a lot of interdimensional communication, you know, with spirits and loved ones, you know, after this and de deprivation of oxygen on a physical basis wasn't the only suffocation that happened to me. I think it happened to me on an emotional and spiritual level. And I say this because I was having these experiences and I, no one was around me was having these experiences. And so I kind of felt very alone and I felt very isolated, like I was in my own little bubble and everyone was outside of it. And so to survive, I really kept this stuff very much to me. I didn't really talk about it, although I did find out recently that my father mentioned that I told him I had this profound experience, but it won't make sense to him until later in life. But one day, you know, he will understand. And he said, I told him point blankly, you know, shortly after this experience. So, you know, and I, I, this is common for a lot of near-death experiences where the experience is so sacred that you don't want to tell anyone you need to process it. It needs to take time for many reasons. Uh, but I felt very, I guess, you know, different uh, than the norm. And looking back on it, different is the coolest thing that you can do or be. <laughs> but it's not as a kid, though. As a kid, you want to fit in. You want to be, be the leaf in water. So it was... It was a very different upbringing, um, and it was it was hard. There was no one to consult with. I didn't walk around saying I had this experience or this a psychic phenomenon. There was no words or labels, which is why I'm internally grateful for Raymond for having that term, because at least for me, this is something tangible that was universal 
um, gave the language to. In the very beginning, you didn't know, you didn't have a term for what had happened to you. And no. <laughs> and, 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 and to top it off, you were part of an Orthodox Jewish community and family and a family of high achievers. So you really were I mean, I, sort of out of sync with everything. You were in a, in a family of high achievers, in, an, a, in, an, in a family that was, was, was rigorous in its, in its religious beliefs and in its, in its cultural uh, conditioning. And so you were even more out of sync than the average person perhaps would be who was culturally only American and not as culturally conditioned as your family was. Mm. So it was it was clear in reading your book that you really were out of out of sync. Um, I, I really felt for you as a child. Right. And, you know, and I think later in life, I was able to be empowered you know, to trust in my own experience and my own connection with spirituality versus what maybe I have been conditioned to or taught. And so I think through hearing these encounters, my hope is that viewers are able to be empowered with what feels right deep down inside. Because when you look at it, I know you mentioned the silver cord, you know, all these things that we speak about are deep rooted in the Bible. And yet the Bible, you know, in religion, you know, to me is a in many ways, the furthest thing from spirituality in in some degrees. It, it yes. doesn't, you know, you know, but but all these things are are the roots of it. Um, at the core, they're there, you know, angels, um, near-death experiences, you know, all these things are included within the deep, you know, if you look deeply into it, but it's not highlighted. It's more um, into the rules and the laws and the you know, all these things that you need to do to receive love. And that's a human condition, but it's not a spiritual condition. I know I, I learned that we are loved for who we are. Not so much what we do minute to minute. There's an unconditional uh, acceptance, at least from their end, not always from our end to ourselves, right? And and you, you also, um, how did you know about your past lives that you had, you had, um, committed suicide in a past life. How did you know about that history? Well, it's not like I walked around saying past lives. I think reading, you know, books by Dr. Brian Weiss and all these other people, that term came to me. Why I say that is it just didn't seem to be from another time as when you're there, it's, it's one time. Uh, but in my near-death experience and subsequently uh, in my spiritual transformative experience and, and subsequently after it, I had these continual dreams, you know, and visions of this, of these lifetimes that I have lived. And so I thought it was kind of cool, uh, but also invasive of what I wanted to do. I just wanted to move forward and live a life, but I would always have this phenomenon come up to the surface, kind of like a beach ball that I was continually trying to push down that would always just come up and it was to me more so annoying than anything else. It's like, I wanted to focus what's in front of me, you know, but all these doorways, you know, kind of opened up, you know, in the room that I was in the house that I was in and I was kind of graced by the wind. Uh, but it wasn't, I was, I was val, I had evidential validation from different intuitives and mediums prior to me becoming a C-list celebrity <laughs> and writing my books. So I just knew whatever I was seeing had 
evidential backing to what was, you know, what came through in many different readings. Uh, but but yes, I know you do, do, do bring up the life in which I completed suicide in my last lifetime. And I do think, and I do know that my near-death, ex that my experience had something to do with that last lifetime. So you had a lot to sort of overcome emotionally, psychologically. And, yes. and that all drew you to kind of want to help other people. Yeah. You know, my near-death experience and my ex you know, experience that I had, you know, is what I had, but what I was able to kind of learn after it was more profound than the experience itself. And so at least for me, I was suffocated. That was a very difficult time for a young child to go through. It was very scary. I don't, I could only speak for my experience for what it was. I, I wish I could offer something different, uh, but I had to be honest. But from letting go of suffering and surrendering, you know, to this higher awareness, this higher consciousness, um, you know, that really propelled me and saved me. And so I really try to use that within my own life or when uh, people are getting stuck, you know, in my last lifetime in which I completed suicide, my my back was against the wall. I had a lot of different things, but I felt very much trapped. And so I think really it's learning the artist's surrender to a to a greater force to propel you and carry you through these difficult moments that could allow people to pivot and to have resolve when they're hydroplaning in the human experience many times. Well, as I said to you before we got started, the experience of reading your book and just the fact that, that you were Jewish and Orthodox mm. and all of that and, and, and that you were, were such a small child when you had your experience connected me with my small childhood and the experience of being a young child and brought back some memories. And I, I don't know why it did, but this was very strange. Now, this may be, be something everybody knows about. And if it is, I apologize for even talking about it. Mm. But maybe nobody knows about it. I don't know. <sighs> but I am entirely Danish. And I was born right after, right at the end of the Second World War. And Denmark is a little tiny wart on the northern edge of Germany. And the Danes, when the Germans on some random Tuesday decided to conquer Denmark, all they had to do was walk in because mm -hmm. what, could, what could the Danes do? And one random Tuesday, they decided to conquer Denmark and they did. And they decided then immediately that what they would do would just uh, tell all the the Danish Jews to start wearing the, the star, mm. which they did. And so the next morning, a little background, because uh, all of my uh, ancestors are Danish, and there was a Danish expat community in Worcester, Massachusetts. Wow. My all my ancestors lived there. My grandparents met and married there. My parents met and married there. Wow. And that was where I grew up. So that's why everybody I knew when I was three years old, it was basically a little tiny um a Danish, you know, ghetto as it were in Massachusetts. Everybody was Danish. 
And so they were following the war from there. So the next morning after the, the country had been conquered, King Christian X got up that morning, put on the Jewish star, and got on his bicycle and rode around Copenhagen wearing the Jewish star. And so everybody in Denmark, the whole country, knew to put on the Jewish star, and they did. Therefore, the Germans didn't know who was Jewish, who wasn't. And they did this for several weeks. And every night, the fishermen would fill their boats with the Danish Jews and would ferry them to Sweden, huh. and where the, from where they were able to escape to England to enter freedom. And so when I was a little tiny child, I was taught that all the Danish Jews were saved because we got them out. And I should be proud to be Danish because we saved all the Danish Jews. So one of the first things I learned, and I knew it my whole life, was to be proud to be Danish because we saved all the Danish Jews. Now, I didn't know when I was a small child what any of that meant. And I don't think I realized for most of my life why I have been such an ardent supporter of Israel mm. of, or of any of it. But your book awakened all of those memories in me. And now I, I, I sort of get things about myself that I never knew before. It put it all together. And it, it was kind of surprising. It's surprising what children learn from their people and, and what these cultural memories really are. And, and, and uh, it, I, it just was it's curious to me what, what children learn. And, and it, it sort of awakened bigger things in me. It made me understand where cultural loyalties come from, not just mm. cultural loves, but cultural hatreds too. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Isn't it amazing though, you know, when you do a good act in the moment, you're not thinking of the impact. You're just doing the best thing that you can to help someone. But when you sit back, you know, at the end, you kind of see how the ripple effect of your actions. And that's, you know, a microcosm of life itself, where in the moment, we're just doing our thing, we're doing the best that we can with our information and our energy. And then we just kind of come to the end of it and, you know, have an actualization of wow. So I have an immense amount of gratitude, um, you know, for your Danish ancestors and for all the work that they did. I wish so many others would be so courageous to do that. We may, may have limited, you know, the millions of casualties that happened during that era. And you just think about, you know, the 10, I, I would say around 10 million people total, but 6 million Jews were killed. And it was the most, some of the most talented, the brightest, you know, entertainers and yeah. artists at that time, all washed by generation. Just wonder, you know, what, what, what could have happened if they lived out their lives and how different could the world, you know, but you know, can't, think like that it, it was what it was and there are reasons we just aren't entirely sure of of all of them but you know my god that was a whole generation wiped out of you a know, whole generation was wiped out yeah. but but those the the danes no one fired a shot they couldn't defend their country but there was one thing they could do they could confuse the germans for long enough to save those people isn't that isn't that amazing that they dared to do that 
incredible. And it's amazing when you go into trust and faith, you know, and have that, it's it's a real weapon. It's a real power. I mean, you talk about how Israel was, you know, established. I mean, they were had their backs against three or four countries in the Six-Day War, and that's how they were able to take it. And I think it made sense for them, I think, in the late 40s or 50s to get it because they were so traumatized from, you know, other other nations just booting them out or, you know, having a genocide against them. They needed their own homeland, you know, as security. So it was so miraculous for all the lives that were shed for now all of a sudden to Jews to have their own homeland and state um, and to overcome immense odds you know, in the military operation of doing it. But I, I guess I didn't realize till I read your book and because you, you keep bringing up the, all the cultural details, you know, that you, you went to synagogue for this, you did this, you did that. And, and I, I just did, didn't, it never occurred to me how, why I feel so viscerally um, uh, supportive of, of mm-hmm. Israel. Well, of course, because that's where those people ended up when they finally got out, they, they went to Israel and that's where my people are. The people my people saved all ended up there. Yes, of course, I, I want them to be safe because my people saved them. Very, very amazing how our when, when we're children and, and the things we're taught then, and they stay with us all our whole lives. Yeah, incredible. I'm glad you were able to have that moment and you know, put, <laughs> put the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. That's very important. Because sometimes we could be missing things and not getting to the root of things. And that's the work that I do, you know, as a therapist, hypnotherapist, is just to allow people to kind of put some of the pieces of the puzzle, the mosaic together, you know, to kind of see the beauty. Because sometimes we're focusing on one thing. We can't see the whole, you know, picture. And, you know, people come to me through, you know, groups or individual sessions, they're able to kind of put a couple things together from the ground up that that could help them move the needle in their lives. I, I think that um, the, the, the whole hypnotic um, regression, past life regression, and also future life progression, which some people do, is, is quite important. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, I have had a little of it, not much, because my own spirit guide won't, won't allow me to do past life regression. Is that Thomas Edison or that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, did, I did my homework, it won, but it but correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas Edison doesn't want to be known as Thomas Edison because that... No, no, it's not Edison, it's Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, okay, okay. Right, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't want, uh, no, he's, he definitely is past that lifetime now. Right. But, but... Um, no, um, the the what I've, I've learned quite a lot about the separate lifetimes we lead and how they affect us and um, how being regressed helps us to get past the traumas of our different lifetimes and and basically move forward and and. It's it's all it's all quite exciting and it's all quite amazing. One of the things I've learned is those lifetimes progress. For example, I, I was allowed to remember a meeting um, that that um, my guide and, and it, 
basically initiated so that I could could uh, get some things straight with Thomas Jefferson. And they were both in that same meeting and they were two different people. My guide and Thomas mm-hmm. Jefferson are two different people now. Although at one time he did live that lifetime. Um, a, a regression therapist, he, I've, he and I have lived 17, 17 lifetimes together. And while he won't allow me to be regressed, to my to the lifetimes I've lived with him, he did allow there to a regression therapist to ask some of my previous lifetimes questions, and those seventeen different me's met with me, and they were seventeen different people that I got to meet with that were once me all in the same room. Wow. Wow. That's different people though. They're different people now. So I I have learned, and this is so fascinating to me. I have to mm. say, Jacob, they're different people now. It's interesting, you know, because when I do my regressions, um, I kind of view our cells as kind of like a book and you would know this you've read in I'm sure you can keep track. Was it 17 or 18 books you've written? Kind of like the amount of people that you saw in the room, right? Yeah. It's it's kind of like from one author to another author, you could understand when you write a book, sometimes you skip around and then you come back to something. And I think it's kind of like the journey of souls that we have, where we have one lifetime that has maybe nothing to do with that last lifetime, but it's like from one to five that we go or like one to 10. You know, so it's just interesting how the different lifetimes, you know, are interwoven, you know, from like uh, just like a couple other lifetimes to to this one. But I think we have to bear in mind that there's a far greater intelligence involved, you know, in the charting process of our lives. And it is so fascinating, you know, and so someone once I was in a reading and someone once said, why do you doubt yourself so much? And I, I do this a lot, and you know, I'm yeah, type well. A perfectionistic. And they said, when you doubt yourself, you not only doubt yourself, but you doubt all the people around you, your loved ones, you doubt God, you doubt your spirit guides. So you're not just doubting yourself, but you're doubting intelligence, you know, that's far greater than doubt has. So why do that? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's so true that there's such a beautiful intelligence and we learn to trust that intelligence. Our life becomes a lot more in sync and flow, more enjoyable than when we trust in our own fears, our own limitations. Our identity is a lot heightened from trusting in wisdom, which is a segue to my upcoming book, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, as I really do believe wisdom is a saving grace and oxygen of our world right now you know it really is i i've learned to put most of my trust in in my guide he is so much smarter than i am and would make sense wouldn't it because when we return to uh, uh, our our primary lives we also return to our most of our intelligence we've left behind and so he's in his greater self, he's in his greater mind. So he would have a lot, he'd be a lot smarter anyway, where he is now than I am. And mm-hmm. so I, I let him make most of our decisions. And he he does a lot better at it than I do. Yeah. And, and and that uh, 
I've learned not to doubt myself, but just simply to ask him to make our final decisions. And he does a lot better at it. Right. But um, it's just amazing with life's times in and lifetimes out, the more that we trust in that wisdom, the more that we apply it, the more that it becomes ingrained in who we are. Yeah. You know, because over there, we kind of know it, you know, it's very clear. But when you come to this, you know, this human life, it's a lot harder to apply. When you apply that, you just become it, you know. And so the reason, part of the reason for getting so vulnerable in life after breath was a lot of people, and I myself do this, put spiritual teachers or others or experiencers on pedestals thinking that they're not immune, you know, from the human experience or the trials and tribulations. You know, so a lot of people embrace that light, not recognizing that light was many times birthed out of the darkness and they was able to walk through that. And it wasn't, you know, immunized from the struggle, but it was able, that wisdom was able to be utilized within, you know, that, that darkness. And that's my hope that people could find that relatability from reading Life After Breath in their own lives. Yeah, you, you you did keep doubting yourself, and it was only when you began to feel a little bit more confident that you began to find some success. Mm. That, that was pretty clear from your book. Yeah, but that was yeah. good too. It was it. You, I, I was rooting for you and rooting for you, and you really <laughs> did start to succeed. I, I'm not. I'm nowhere near a finished product yet. I, I'm still. Uh, I'm still going. Still have my days, but um. Uh, the the power of belief is so pivotal in our lives with how we view ourselves and how we view the nature of reality. I mean, wasn't Einstein himself who said the most important question that we have to live by is the universe ambivalent, loving, or unforgiving? And if we're able to formulate a, a rapport with that question, you know, in a in a positive way, wow, you know, our lives could really take a new form and shape, you know. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of wisdom right there in, in Dr. Einstein, that's for sure. Right, you know, he also, so, I think... So wait, yes. where are you going next? Uh, wait, your next book comes out at the end of the year, you said? That's the goal, is uh, it's going to be uh, published by my same publisher, Waterside Productions. And uh, it looks like it's, it's, it's in step to be um, published in December. And that's called The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. Uh, my grandmother, who transitioned a couple, you know, months ago, when I told her the title, she said, "The wisdom of Jacob's bladder." That doesn't make sense. I go, "No, it's the wisdom of Jacob's ladder, not bladder." <laughs> that's that's a that's another story. It's TMI, you know, with with the other title. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's um, oh my. He was very much one of my spiritual teachers. At the end of every call she would finish the conversation with take care of precious you. And I'm just like, what is that? It just kind of got old to me. But after a while, I recognized that, you know, we need to remember that we are so precious and sacred. You know, sometimes the world could create our mind instead of our mind creating our world. I'll say that again. The world that we live in could create our mind instead of this beautiful mind that we were born with to create our world. And so that's very important to remember who we truly are. Right. You know, so true. Our deepest core. Uh, but yes, the wisdom of Jacob's ladder is set to come out in December. And I view life after breath as my karma or my story. And the wisdom of Jacob's ladder is more of my dharma. 
you know, my, the the purpose of my experience and what is the real meaning behind it. The the what is the bulk of it? So I'm a lot more excited about that book. I have to say, Life After Breath is very hard for me, being very introverted, being very to myself to get that vulnerable. It's you know I I'm sure you could relate to this. When you write a book, you feel very naked, kind of like when you transition. When spirits transition to the other side, they feel, you know, naked too, and like they are transparent, you know. Uh, so writing my books, I guess, is a is a way for me to sensitize myself to that part of myself when I do transition. If I could do it here, it'd be a lot easier there, right? So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my next chapter. That's the next thing. Uh, there was my my books are are all about Jesus, so um, I always. <laughs> since they're not about me i i don't i don't feel that way about them uh the my my, my next book will come out early next year finally mm. it was written four years ago and um finally he's finally saying it's time for Bert to come out so i'm kind of wow. excited about it actually he, he said we weren't ready yet but now we are yeah well we're hoping libraries survive but if not we have all this stuff on ebooks and we we know the internet's you know here to stay so i think books are great because it it gives us something to kind of leave with you know others and to kind of have that ripple effect and uh it's a way of giving back you know because i'm sure you were touched one at some point by someone's work and you know i think it's a great way for us to give back all the inspiration that we're given by those who came before us. You don't um, want to die with the song of your life unsung. That's yeah, right. that's that's the opening quote of my book by uh, Wayne Dyer. Uh, I think he, well, Dr. Wayne Dyer thinks it's something along those lines. But yes, you don't want to die with that song or the music still in you. You've got to play that song. That's right. Don't be a one-hit wanderer either, too. It's not too bad, but I think people have got, have got hits in them that they're not playing. Well, the, the thing is that all of us are singing essentially the same song. Mm. When, when the thing that we still don't quite understand is that there's only one song. Mm. And all of us are just, just learn to need to learn to sing that song together. Is that That's what we're here to do. <laughs> we're we're here to learn that, that, to sing the same tune in the same yeah. voice. That, and, that sound is like ohm to me, right? Yeah. You know, it's well, like one sound. It, it's a song of joy. That's the song that we're, we're here to learn to sing. Um, and, and, and you as a, as a little child, learned, you know, you, you, you heard it sung and you learned, you learned finally to begin to sing it with, with, that, with that voice of joy. And, hey, I, and, yeah. Um, no, I am I, born I, on the same date as Barbara Streisand, so you know maybe I, I can <laughs> sing. Oh, yeah. she has a beautiful voice, doesn't she? Um, the, the, send me, send me your your next book in in, but send it in PDF because um, my my husband swears that if I bring one more actual book into the house, um, he won't have any room left in it, and he'll have to move out. And I don't want that to happen after all those times. So therefore. Of course. Send, send it in PDF. Um, you, you should see. It's really quite amazing how many books we have in this house. Because it, long before there was the possibility of PDFs, I was buying books. 
and uh, so we have we have it, it looks like a library. My house does look like a library. He was very patient for a very long time. I have to give him credit for that. It's just amazing how books could add up where it's like you talk to one person, you get their book, another person, before you know it, you have a whole encyclopedia. You know, it's it's it's, yeah. it's just funny. Well, no, he really um, has been very patient. I have to admit, my husband is a saint. Yeah, wow, he has wow. stayed married to me as long for as long as he has. <laughs> He yeah. really is really wonderful. But back to your 17 lives, you know, in the lives that you saw, it's just kind of funny how, um, you know, a lot of people, when they hear my experience, they're like, oh, wow, you, no way you were, you three years old. How do you remember it? And I say, you're right. I am never my age. I'm beyond my age. I'm ageless. And so yeah. I was experiencing myself as an experience as, as a young infant. But beyond that, we are timeless, eternal souls, I do believe. We are. And so a lot of people just have this identification with who they are, you know, in this body, in this lifetime, you know, but we have so many different bodies and so many different lifetimes that we're in many ways accumulation of all those lessons and stories and, and wisdom. And so, but, but Jake, uh, it's even stranger than that. Every single one of those bodies was male. I've always, wow. almost always been a man. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that's why I have such sympathy for the for these kids that they keep they're they're trying to force into male bodies because until I hit puberty, I would have done anything to be a man because mm. that's who I thought I was until I hit puberty. Then everything was fine, and I'm very glad. I'm very glad I was not born now because I would have done anything to be to be allowed to transition into being a man yeah no it's it's interesting that that was so dominant for you throughout i mean normally you hear of like balances you know and when i have some my clients will have you know me you know females or males coming through but for you to have so many of those dominantly you just just wondering you know, maybe that was something for your soul that you needed to have that and that maybe most learn people it turns that. out are one gender mostly and i'm always mm. almost always male and i just um this just happened to be one one lifetime that i took as a female and so my and i have a male guide and so um he he he, he finds it creepy that I, i've been a female this lifetime but uh he says i'll I'll turn back into a male as soon as I die. And then, then it, it'll all seem normal to, to, to me again and to him again for us to be normal friends again. Mm. I don't know. It's all it's, weird, but that's, yeah, yeah, interesting, right? It's all interesting to me too. I, I almost feel there's an androgynistic component where there's almost both, you know, that we have. and We're all both, uh, of, yeah. course. of course. Alpha, Omega, you know, so... But what? I've enjoyed being a female. I've never, as I, as from the time I was, say, 16, 17 on, I never felt conflicted at all. I've been happy, very happy to be a female. Never yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're finding, you know, beauty in the change and seeing the other side of the veil. No yeah. pun intended. You're doing that literally and metaphorically, right, with the work that of you course. do. Of decades of research on the other side of the veil and now seeing it as a different gender, what that's like. And 
it's yeah. all lessons and you know wisdom to be gained and yeah, it's stop messing with kids i mean how terrible that is i hope they get sued i hope they they totally get sued by all these kids they're messing with because the kids would be straightened out if they just leave them alone well <sighs> I, I want you know that was a goal of my book really for parents to look at their children hopefully a little bit differently that they're not these blank canvases that they come that they're not congruent with their you know chronological age that there's a soul into that body oh, yeah you know and it sounds so elementary right but but for to apply that as a holy holy you know and for the masses to kind of understand that as a whole different ball game you know and so you know, life after breath, people ask, you know, was it your three-year-old self that was going through this? And I say, it was my soul. Yes. <laughs> it was my soul that course. was experiencing this, you know, and my soul is not an age. But my hope is, you know, that um, we could allow children who come to this earth, you know, to teach us rather than us continuously trying to program and teach them. We can't expect us to change for doing things the same exact way, you know, for us to kind of, and, and that's, you know, change is needed. We have to learn to listen a little bit more. Um, and sadly, oh, that's not yeah. the case. You look at school systems, they're more infatuated with regurgitation than imagination, you know, and it's just all <laughs> about that, said. you know, yes. and so, um, you know, we can't expect full potential to be revitalize if we had this conveyor belt like your trajectory you know and so i think you know children have a very important voice to be listened to uh but unfortunately they get disempowered by putting their values in others outside themselves and that isn't just with spiritual beliefs that's across the board and um I think a lot of people come to me for self-esteem barriers. And I think that's at the core of, of why people struggle. You know, they, they struggle within themselves being bogged down for all these years. And they want to oh, finally learn what it's like to breathe and to be okay with who they are. Oh, beautifully said. That's wonderful. I'm so sorry we've come to the end of our time. But we'll do this again when your other book comes out. That'll be great. Absolutely. Yeah. Roberta, keep up the great work and the good faith. And I'm so glad we finally got to connect and that this book hit a chord in you that was unexpected. <laughs> You've <laughs> got to expect the unexpected with, with life sometimes. So I'm, I'm glad it really kind of tug on your heartstrings a little bit. You it know, did. That, that's it good. Really did. Well, big hug to you, Jake. And we'll talk again soon. You too. Keep up the great work. Many blessings you, to dear, you. You too. Big hug. And so everybody, I'm so sorry to say we've come to the end of our time. And this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so happy you could be with us today. And please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, we'll be talking with Brent Michael Phillips. He graduated at the top of his class at MIT, and that was a great beginning. But 
Then he, he developed a, a health crisis that left him on permanent disability, and they told him he had no hope of recovery. But instead of giving up, he explored all the conventional alternative spiritual treatments he could find, and he found a mentor and experienced a genuine miracle with his paralyzed arm. <laughs> I got that wrong. And he was instantly healed. And after his life-changing moment, he developed a, 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 way to, a way to use spiritual and scientific methods and applied scientific training as well. And he developed what he called a formula for miracles. And this is going to be interesting. So please join us next week. This week, we're going to be, we, we have been talking with Jacob Cooper, who had a very unusual childhood near death experience. I wish he had told us more about it, but it's in the book. So he wrote a book, which I loved, called Life After Breath. Children who have NDEs have actually very special treatment, which often I love reading about their NDEs because they're negative, never negative. They're always very positive. And they're, they often go out of their bodies. They see angels. All kinds of beautiful things happen. And Jacob had a childhood which was very distracted because he kept having little flashbacks. And he has built a beautiful life now serving others. We're going to be reading his, his successor book as well. And I was so captivated, as I say, it gave me kind of a successor experience too with my childhood and what I learned in my childhood and actually has, has given me flashbacks throughout my life about what, what I learned about my own heritage and, and how it has made me, frankly, a lover of the Jewish heritage as well. And so we'll be talking with him again in probably January about his his successor book. So uh, I, I loved this book. Uh, again, it's called Life After Breath, and, and it's by Jacob Cooper. Um, I hope that you'll look think about it if you have time. It's not a long book, but it's quite powerful. It's time to mention now, again, that Seek Reality Online is your one-stop resource for all things afterlife. Just go to seekreality.com, start to learn for yourself what really is going on. And we, there's not time to talk about my books. We've run out of time, but you know what they are. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available wherever podcasts are found. Many people just tell me they listen each week through the Seek Reality app you can find for free in the iTunes app store. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please go out now and enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, always knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, you never will end. And you in particular, most of all in the whole universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life Flow.